0: Well, good morning, Fellowship of the Rockies. If you're in the house of the Lord, say amen. 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 It's great to see all of you this weekend. I'm so glad to be preaching for you this week. It has been uh, a while since we've been here in the room together, but I am so thankful to be with you. Pastor Charlie and his wife, Karen, are on vacation right now. They're getting some well-needed rest because who knew what would be happening for the year 2020 because he's led so faithfully through a, a worldwide pandemic who I never, I never would have thought that I'd be telling my kids one day that I lived in a worldwide pandemic. I never thought that would be part of our story, but God has led us to this, and he has led us through it. And so I'm very thankful for Pastor Charlie. If you don't know me, my name is Eli Finley. I'm the youth pastor here at the church. I've been on staff for about two years now, uh, but I've been a part of this church since uh, about 2011. Uh, nearly 10 years I've been uh, under Pastor Charlie's teaching, under his preaching, and I'm so thankful for that faithfulness to this community. But, but Pastor Charlie has been faithful to this community longer than just this pandemic, but for 25 years, 25 years of Pueblo ministry. And that's an amazing thing that we didn't fully get to celebrate this year because Easter would have been our 25th anniversary. 25 years Fellowship of the Rockies has been in Pueblo, and, and we didn't get to have it together. But uh, we celebrate it now because Pastor Charlie has had long obedience in one direction, like Pastor Dwayne would say. Uh, so this morning, I'd love to give you a uh, a life update, but I've really been doing the same thing as you since March. So not much has happened. I got a dog, and that's really the only life update I can <laughs> give you. Uh, but turn in your Bibles today to Exodus chapter 4. That's where we're going to be. And if you don't have your Bible or an electronic device, that's fine. The scripture is going to come up on the screen. But we're going to talk about the burning bush this morning. We're going to we're talk about the calling of Moses to begin the redemption story for the Hebrew people that are in Egypt at the time. And what I want you to see out of this story today is, one, that Moses is a normal guy. He's a normal man with normal problems, okay? We tend to take these Old Testament characters and we, we put them on a pedestal. And, and in many ways, rightly so, there are faithful men and women who, who are part of God's word. Yes, they should be on that pedestal. But, but we can't romanticize their thoughts and ideas because they're, they're like us, too. We're people just like they are people, were people. They are not are now. They were people. And also what I want you to see is that these narratives that God gives us in Scripture, they're repeated time and time again, even today in our world in our life. These narratives are repeated. The burning bush, God revealing himself to Moses, is something that is repeated daily when you pick up this book and you read it. God reveals himself to us in that way. So we're going to be in Exodus chapter 4, and I'm going to read... Verses 10 through 17 for you. It says this, But Moses replied to the Lord, Please, Lord, I've never been eloquent, either in the past or recently, since you've been speaking to your servant, because my mouth and my tongue are sluggish. And the Lord said to him, Who placed a mouth on humans? Who makes a person mute or deaf, the seeing or the blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. And Moses said, Please, Lord, send someone else send someone else then the lord's anger burned against moses and he said isn't aaron the levite your brother i know that he can speak well and also he's on his way to see you now to meet you he will rejoice when he sees you you will speak with him and tell him what to say i will help both you and him to speak and i will teach you both what to do he will speak to the people for you he will serve as a mouth for you and you will serve as god to him and take this staff in your hand that you will perform the signs with. See, there's a lot happening in this passage, because over the last two chapters, Exodus 3 and 4, Moses has encountered God at the burning bush, and we're catching just the end piece of this right here. This is the last moments of the conversation. There's a lot going on here, but I do, before we really get into it, I think it's an entertaining thought to think that Moses' response to a burning bush that is speaking to him it's to say that I'm not going to speak so well to the people. Like, do you, do you really think, Moses, that if God can speak to you through a shrub that's on fire, <laughs> that he can't use you to speak to the Hebrew people, to lead them? And so that's just an entertaining thought. But what Moses is, is not picking up here. Is he's not, he's not understanding this about God because he's focused on all of the external factors. Okay, he's, he's worried about all the things going on in his life. that he can't see that God can obviously do the miraculous, can obviously fulfill what he's going to call, what he is going to call Moses to do. He can obviously fulfill it, but Moses is stuck on his insecurities. That's where he's stuck. He says, my mouth, I can't speak. In fact, scholars, based on the language in this passage, believe that he may have had something physically wrong with his mouth, physically, like like maybe a lisp or something like that, something physically wrong with his mouth to slow him down or make him not able to speak well. But what Moses doesn't know, and he'll come to find out, is that the calling of God is not based on external factors. It's not based on the things we have going on in our life. It's not based on anything like that. The simplest way that I can say this to you today is that God chooses whom he will choose. It's his decision. And whom he chooses, I don't know if it's who or whom, I think it's whom, whom he chooses, will fulfill all that he has purposed and willed for that person to do. It will be accomplished because God has willed it to happen, and it's not based on external factors, it's not based on anything else that's going on at the time. And let's be clear if God can use Moses to lead the Israelites out of Egypt, he could use anyone to do it because Moses, the problems he's naming here in the passage, they're not, they're not just excuses, they really are kind of a problem. Okay, Moses needs to be able to communicate clearly with the people to lead the millions of Hebrew people that are in Israel or that are in Egypt to get them out of there. He needs to be able to communicate well. This isn't an excuse, this is a problem. And that's only the first one, and that's the one that he names in the passage. But we can take the context of what's going on here and see that there is probably much, much more going on below the surface. See, for Moses, he grew up in a context that was very, very different. So let me give you a background and we can kind of look through and see in Moses' life that there is more than just his problem of communication that's on his mind. So Moses, he's a Hebrew person, okay? And he was born in Egypt during a time where the Hebrew were the Egyptian slaves, okay? And what had happened was the Hebrew people multiplied and multiplied and multiplied greatly. And the Egyptian people said, you know what? If they really wanted to overthrow us, they could do it right now. They could take us because they have so many people. And so the Egyptian the pharaohs, the leaders, decided to start killing the Hebrew babies. They started trying to kill them, okay? And that's, that's when Moses was born, and he was lucky enough to be born. And so his mom, trying to protect him, wraps him in a blanket, puts him in a basket, and sets him in the Nile. Mother of the year material. Just kidding. She protects him, okay, and she sends him down this river. And none other than pharaoh's daughter finds Moses in the water. And that's where he gets his name, Moshe, for out of the water I have taken you. That's where the name Moses comes from. And see, see, an Egyptian, Pharaoh's daughter, is going to be the reason that we see all of God's calling come to pass. Because had she not had mercy on a Hebrew baby that she knew was, quote, the enemy or the slaves, because of that mercy, Moses is going to be able to live his life and follow what God has for him. But that's, that's the context in which Moses grows up. He is caught between a Hebrew race and Egyptian royalty. Because he grows up in, in the Egyptian house of, of Pharaoh's daughter, but he also is nursed by his mother, and in many ways raised by his, his actual Hebrew biological mother. And so he's stuck in the middle of this, and, and his allegiance is frayed a little bit. He's not sure whom he really, who, I think that one's the who, there's the grammar. I know the gospel, not grammar. He, his allegiance changes from time to time. He's not exactly sure who he really is going to follow. And that's evident in the story because Moses grows up and he witnesses something. He sees some Egyptian men beating some Hebrew men and he kills one of the Egyptians. You see, this is what I was talking about a minute ago when I say that we, that we put these Old Testament characters kind of on a pedestal. You don't think of Moses as a murderer, do you? Moses killed a guy. He murdered somebody. That's a sin that many of us can't even imagine doing, can't even imagine going down that road. But Moses did. It's it's. Moses is a normal man with n- normal struggles, normal temptations, things that might bring you over the line. And so what happens is the Hebrew people find out what Moses has done, he finds out, they find out that he's killed an Egyptian, and they say, well, we shouldn't uh, mess with Moses because he might kill us, and the Egyptians are all mad because, well, he killed an Egyptian, and so they want to kill him, and so Moses decides he's going to get out of Dodge, he's going to get out of town, he's going to leave. So he does something pretty drastic, he... he runs away from Egypt, and he moves about 400 miles, give or take, to a place called Midian. Okay, Midian is in the Midian of nowhere. Uh, it's, it's out in the middle of nowhere, it's like 380 some odd miles from where he's at in Egypt. Uh, so he decides, I'm gonna marry a foreign woman, I'm gonna have some foreign kids, and I'm gonna change careers, okay? I'm, I'm not gonna be royalty anymore, I'm just gonna be a shepherd. It's the first midlife crisis, or Midian life crisis. On record, I'm sorry for telling that joke. Pastor Mac told me to stick with it, though. So the point is, Moses goes a long way to get away from his past, right? And all of these feelings are coming back up. They're coming back up to the surface because he's talking to the God of the universe about going back to what he has very purposefully left behind. And that's the point. Moses has so many external factors, so many things that he doesn't even say, but you know are below the surface. And to be completely honest with you, based on Moses' rap sheet, if he applied at Fellowship of the Rockies, we might have some red flags. And say, I don't know about that guy. I don't know about him. And yet God is going to use him to lead the people of Israel. And not just that, but so many bigger things. There are so many bigger things that he's going to use Moses to do. In fact, he keeps the plan kind of vague with Moses in chapters 3 and 4 here. All he says is that you're going to go to Egypt, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart, I'm going to smite the people of Egypt, doesn't elaborate on that, and says you're going to lead the people out of there. He's very vague in this. And that's one of Moses' problems is is his sight. That's one of the things that's holding back. And I'm not talking physically his sight. I'm not talking physically like his eyes. I'm talking about the future. He can't see that. He doesn't know what God's overarching plan is, and we get caught up in the same mess every day because we have no idea what God is calling of us. We have no idea what's going to come next, and sometimes that is maddening and confusing. Oswald Chambers, an old pastor, says it this way, we have no conception of what God is aiming at, and as we go, sometimes it gets more and more vague. God's aim looks like he is missing the mark because we are too short-sighted to see what he is aiming at. God's plan makes no sense sometimes. It makes no sense. It seems reckless. It seems weird. It seems strange. God, why would you use a man whose mouth was broken to write the first five books of the Bible? Why would you use a man whose mouth doesn't work correctly to lead your people, millions of people, out of the world's superpower of the time. Egypt is, okay, they're like, their military is the strongest. They've got the most resources, the most wealth. They are the world's superpower of the time. And you use that guy, Moses? And in our lives, God, you're going to use a man who doesn't even understand his faith to try to share it with someone else? God, you're going to try to use me who doesn't really have a full grasp on theology to share Christ with someone else? Why would you do that? And it's because God chooses who he's going to choose. And it's not based on our external factors. It's not based on your knowledge. It's not based on your wisdom. It's not based on Moses' lack of ability. It's based on God. It's based on his power, his strength. See, for us, we can flip over just a few pages and we can see that Moses, Moses split a sea. Moses is part of, of the, the takedown and the, and the humbling of an empire. We can see that, but Moses can't see it. And for us, we can't see what's next. We can't see what God has for us. We have to trust him anyways. God is playing for the end game. He's got a plan. When all we can see is checkers, when we're playing checkers over here in our little game, he's playing chess. He knows his final move before you've made your first. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 through 29 it says this. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world. What is viewed as nothing to bring to nothing that which is something. So that no one may boast in his presence. God says, I don't use you despite problems and your flaws and your weaknesses. I use you because of them. Because when God uses us despite the things we have going on or because of the things that we have going on, he's the only one who can get the glory. He's the only one that can be glorified. And I know that in my life, I can't take a single step of obedience to God and his word save the Holy Spirit being in me. Paul says, he says that we can't even proclaim that Christ is Lord, that Jesus is King, without the Holy Spirit influencing us, being within us. We can't take a step, save God's power, and that's why he gets the glory. He doesn't use us despite our flaws. He uses us because of our flaws. And his plan, his calling, it's not about our strengths. It's not about our weaknesses. It's not about our past. It's not about our sin. It's not about your future. It's not even about your potential. It's not about your comfort. It is simply about his glory because he is worthy of that glory. He is worthy to be glorified. But he doesn't just leave us hanging. He doesn't just throw us in the deep end and say, bring me glory. Figure it out. No. He's got a plan. God's calling comes with promises. He gives us the calling and he promises what he's going to do. Uh, Exodus chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 13 through 16 one more time just to, to refresh it in our minds. It says this, Moses said, please Lord, send someone else. And then the Lord's anger burned against Moses and he said, isn't Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well and also he is on his way now to meet you. He will rejoice when he sees you. You will speak with him and tell him what to say. I will help both you and him to speak and I will teach you both what to do. He will speak to the people for you. He will serve as a mouth for you, and you will serve as God to him. God is requiring great things of Moses, but he has a solution to the pitfalls. He has a solution for the weaknesses. You see, what happens here, this is an apocalypse for Moses. Okay, and when I say the word apocalypse, I don't mean the new agey version of that word where we say, you know, the apocalypse is the end of all time, it's the end of all things. That's kind of what we understand it now. But through the ages, it has meant something completely different. Because the word apocalypse means to reveal. It means to unveil. See, God has just apocalypsed himself to Moses. He has just revealed himself to Moses and given him his name. Something that we haven't seen in scripture before. He says, I am Yahweh the great I am, I am who was, who is, and who is to come. It's an apocalypse for Moses and, and you cannot be revealed to God in this way and leave the same. You cannot be revealed to God in this way and not to have some sort of change in your path. God is calling for big things from Moses, big things. But he doesn't just leave him hanging. He gives him promises. God has asked Moses to return to a place where he has awful memories. And in fact, he probably has some relational strain here. Moses does. If we really think about this, like like I was breaking down the passage before, we have to think about what Moses is doing under the surface. Think about the relationships that Moses has. His Hebrew family, who hasn't seen him for 40 years, probably walked through some things since he's been gone, also come to terms with the fact that your brother is a murderer. He also has Egyptian family, though. Think about the people that he grew up with that he no doubt loves and knows deeply. That he's going he's to bring the word of God to them that says, Re- Release my people from your bondage. But also, Moses knows going into this that their hearts are going to be hardened, that, that Pharaoh's heart is going to be hardened, and that God is going to smite these people. That's the family news he's going to deliver after 40 years. 40 years of separation, and that's his message coming home? God is requiring great things of Moses, but he gives him promises. He has solutions to the pitfalls. What does he say to Moses? He says, isn't Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he speaks well. You want to know how God knew that Aaron spoke well? Because he made him that way. He made him that way. He knows long before Moses ever felt uncomfortable in front of crowds or felt uncomfortable speaking, before Moses ever sinned, before any of these things, God made Aaron this way because he knew. He knew what Moses was going to struggle with. And then, even deeper than that, the next few verses, God gives them a promise. He says, I will teach you what to say, I will teach you what to do, I'll provide the miracles. Aaron can be the mouth to the people. But that's not just a theme for Moses' story. We've been invited to experience this about God because these narratives that I talk about that God repeats and reveals to us, we're experiencing them right now. It reveals the character of God. It brings out the character of God. And God is a man of redemption. He wants to redeem you. He wants to come into your life and do bigger things than you thought that you could do based on his strength, not based on your external Because there's one divide that we all have and we all share. There's, there's one gap that none of us can cross between us and God. And it's the temporary happiness that we feel day to day. It's, it's the small little things that we hold on to even though we know that they're idols. It's the little things that we do that bring a brief moment of fulfillment that we don't wanna talk about and we definitely don't wanna give up. And it's sin. We, we we like to characterize sin in the church as just evil and negative and it tears up your life, but but when we experience sin, we're like I kinda like that. I kinda wanna try it again. It hooks us, it keeps us coming back, and that's the thing that separates us from God because we think that the biggest problem in our life is gonna be the number in our bank account. We think the biggest problem in our life is gonna be whether or not we get another job or, or a better job but the ultimate problem will always be this divide from God. It will always be sin. And yet God sends Jesus who lives righteously and dies guiltlessly to bridge the gap for us, to bring us back into relationship. He reveals himself to us. He redeems us just like God is beginning the story of redeeming the Hebrew people out of Egypt. And God is redeeming himself to us. Revelations depicts Jesus as the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Before your heart ever turned away from God, before you ever chose sin first, before you ever had an idol, before you were born. And God has made amends for you. He has made a way back. He has made a way of redemption for us. God already has the solution. He's worked the details out. And the calling of God comes with these promises. And that's why we don't have to be perfect. That's why you don't have to be perfect. Because God's got the details. But that does mean we have to choose obedience. We have to choose to be obedient. There are steps that we have to take towards God. And and we think of obedience, in in the Christian view, we think of obedience as, as obligation. I shouldn't cuss anymore, I shouldn't drink, I shouldn't chew, and I shouldn't go with girls or boys who do. I shouldn't do those things. And it's out of just, a, just an obligation. But we forget to look at the privilege of what God has called us into because God calls us to share the greatest news that could ever be proclaimed. He calls us to be part of a body, a church body that encourages and grows with each other. A community that is deeper, deeper connected than any other community you could find. That's a privilege that we get to step into. And yes, that means choosing obedience, but when we lay down the things of the world, we take up the things of God, and they are eternally fulfilling, not temporarily fulfilling. You see, obedience to God and His calling, it awakens us it awakens us to remarkable work. It's not about obligation. We get to tell part of the story of Jesus' redemption narrative. The work that he started on the cross, we get to be a part of that. We get to live in that reality. We get to share that reality. The point is is that our obedience to Jesus, it's gotta be paramount in our faith. It's gotta be the pinnacle of it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it this way, that only he who believes is obedient and only he who is obedient believes. He says that, that obedience and belief, obedience and faith are two sides of the same coin. We cannot say that we have faith in Jesus and proclaim his name and yet spit on his word. We cannot claim a faith and a belief in Christ and then leave behind all the things that he has called us to do. It's difficult to have faith when you won't answer the calling of God. That's how this works. Moses had to experience this. He had to be obedient to the calling because he knew who God was, okay? He had some concept of God before the burning bush. He knew about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and and the covenant promises and you're going to bless the Hebrew people, but it doesn't seem like it because we've been in slavery for 400 years, Moses understands the concept of God, but is he gonna show faith? Only his obedience could prove that. Only his obedience could show that. But his obedience wasn't just about going to church on Sundays. Moses' obedience wasn't just about listening to Christian music or reading Christian books. He had a higher calling. We all have a higher calling than just those things. See, God has this, this moment with Moses, reveals himself to him, and then he sends him on his way, and Moses begins the story right off. He goes straight to his, he goes straight to his father-in-law and says, I'm going to go back to Egypt, and his father-in-law sends him on his way, and he, we begin the redemption narrative that for the next, you know, I don't know, 40, 50 chapters of the Bible, they're going to be walking through. But for us, we say, you know, I've never had a conversation with a burning bush. I've never heard God audibly say my name. You don't have to because Jesus is very, very clear about our calling as the church. He says it himself, Matthew chapter 28. He says, go therefore and create disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them the things that I've taught you. And this, that's calling and then his promise, and I will be with you to the very end of the age because what Jesus starts, he finishes. What Jesus calls, he accomplishes. It's not based on external factors. It's not based on anything else going on. It's simply based on his strength. But he uses us to do that. He uses us to do that. He calls us into that story, into that narrative. And all of us are under the same calling. I'm a youth pastor and I'm under the same calling as you are. I just get to do it with the coolest group of people. That's the only difference. We can't overcomplicate the calling of God simple but we cannot underestimate the severity of God's call because the calling of God comes with a cost comes with a cost for Moses there was great cost of following God's call yeah it was gonna be uncomfortable yes he was gonna have to leave behind some things yes a little bit out of his comfort zone but what did he have to sacrifice what did he have to give up Moses gave up a normal marriage. He gave up a normal shot at fatherhood. He gave up this whole new life that he had created. Everything. He gave up everything to follow what God's calling was. Jesus calls us the same way. In Mark chapter 10, he says, take up your cross and follow me. Our cross, when we take up our cross, that's not a financial blessing that's not always healing. In fact, to take up your cross is a death sentence. Jesus says, come and die to the world. Die to your old desires, die to your will, die to those things and fully take up the things of heaven. Fully take up the grace and joy and peace and mercy and faithfulness and forgiveness, all of these things that I guarantee to you. Take up his promise that he will be with you to the end of the age. That's what the Christian calling is. And we cannot sacrifice nothing where he sacrificed everything. We cannot give nothing in the place that he gave everything. There can't be a cheap grace that costs Jesus everything and mean nothing, yes, you don't earn your grace. That's a free gift given to you that you get to share in. But to walk in the light, as first Peter says, to choose the narrow path and the narrow road, that's gonna take sacrifice. It's gonna take giving away and giving up some things. It's gonna take obedience when you don't understand. It's going to take obedience when you cannot even see what God's aiming at. It's going to take obedience even when you feel like there are too many external factors. It's going to take obedience. But that's what God is saying and whispering to the heart of every believer and unbeliever, whether you're in this room or watching it three weeks after I say it. God is revealing himself to you, and he's saying, lay it down. Lay down your will. Lay down your desires. Lay down the worldly things that you've taken up. Lay down the idols that you put before me. Lay down your life, and in doing that, you will discover it in me. Let me pray for you this weekend. Father God, we praise you and we trust you. God, give us the strength and your spirit to be obedient when we don't understand to be willing to sacrifice all of the things that Moses sacrificed God I pray that you continue to reveal yourself to us in your word remind us daily remind us daily of your your goodness your mercy and your peace Father we love you and we trust you and it's in your holy name we pray Jesus amen There are many ways that you can respond to this sermon with whatever God is saying to you. If you're in this room, in this church building, then there are uh, some QR codes on the seat backs in front of you. You can scan that with your phone and then it'll open up our connect card and you can respond that way. Or if you're online, you can also hit the connect card button, which is on your screen, or a live prayer button if you would like to pray with somebody. We'd love to pray with you this week. God bless you. Have an amazing week. May God's grace and peace be multiplied to you.